0: it uh this week has been a bit rough because oscar my dachshund i thought he weighed like seven or eight pounds he actually weighs 10 pounds we vet they weighed him he uh was we were playing basketball on sunday sasha and me and heather and right next to the basketball court there's a couple of pine trees we didn't really think much of it although we had been warned that in portugal in the winter months there's this like larva of a caterpillar of some kind I guess they nest or they lay their eggs beneath palm trees and they have kind of a sweet smell and dogs and even little kids are attracted to them, but they're super poisonous. And um, we were warned about this, but, you know, I mean, it was a while ago. We've we've actually, Heather mentioned it once we were hiking in the woods to keep Oscar away from the pine trees, but he just kind of wandered off. Didn't even think about it. We're shooting baskets. All of a sudden he starts vomiting violently, like this horrible froth and, foam coming out of his mouth and he can't stop and we're like holy shit i think it's that pine tree thing and we could see like some of the people at the court were like aghast like looking at this dog like small dog looking really sick and as we were running out this one woman who worked there was like said something about the larva of the cat she knew what it was too so heather we'd parked the car kind of far away So Heather had a run and Sasha and I waited. Sasha's totally panicking. Is he going to die? Is he going to be all right? I'm like, I think he's going to be all right, but I don't know. And Heather brings the car around like 10 minutes later and Oscar's kind of calmed down. He's acting more normal, sticking his head out the window when we're driving. But we decide we're going to go to the vet on Sunday. There's like a 24-7, seven days a week vet. And we go there and the vet's kind of like, yeah, he looks okay. Let's check him. And they wait a couple hours before his tongue starts swelling and then they realized, yeah, it is this thing. It was a little annoying. They didn't believe us right away that it was definitely this worm, this larva or whatever it is. They're like, you can pick him up at you know, eight o'clock at night. This is like 4 p.m. on Sunday. So we go do some errands and some stuff. And then uh, when we call back at eight, they're like, he's going to have to stay overnight. His tongue is really swelled up and we got to keep an eye on him. We're giving him antibiotics. We're flushing the tongue with this black tea solution that cleans it out. Like, Okay next morning we call they said yeah he's okay he's still pretty swollen he can't his tongue is out of his mouth he can't get it in his mouth and then later we we go over there in the afternoon to check him out and he's pretty listless and his and they tell us that he had a horrible night he was in a lot of pain they gave him a lot of painkillers and that he could lose his tongue maybe it's not likely but he could and then you know if you if you lose the whole tongue like you might have to put the dog down so we're heather's like flipping out like heather Heather would have been like borderline suicidal if Oscar, something happened to Oscar. I don't want to be too cavalier about this because we're not totally out of the woods. But anyway, on Tuesday, we decided, we we called our regular vet who's this like alternative, you know, vet that does all these other treatments. She's like, you got to do an ozone treatment. You should have done it yesterday. And the only reason we didn't do it on Monday was because nobody ever gets back to you in Portugal. So we didn't know when you do it, whatever. So she's like, bring him in right now. So we bust him out of the hospital with some resistance. So the hospital's pretty nice get him, drive him across town and get this ozone treatment done on his tongue. And he comes out looking a little better. She scraped his tongue. She's like, I think we can save his whole tongue. But it was his salivary gland that was swollen. I had to puncture and drain it and all this shit. Like he was, you know, it was bad. If if I want, maybe I'll (laughs) link to her Instagram because this vet is one of these like Instagram star vets. And so she she had the procedure that she did to him. He's unconscious. It's pretty sad to, to watch and pretty gross too. And she's like cleaning his tongue and you know, cleaning out his salivary glands. But anyway, so um, I could put that in the notes, that link. Uh, I don't have Instagram, so I had to watch it on Heather's. But anyway, the point is that we had kind of a scare and we're not 100% out of the woods. We have to do another treatment and make sure that his salivary glands are okay. It looks like his tongue, which had some black spots, is going to be fine. So if you look this up, this, kind of, this larva, caterpillar larva, I forget what it's called, like a procession it's like a something of the word procession in it. Some weird thing, but it's only in Portugal and certain Mediterranean countries. I don't think it's in the US, but it kills some dogs. It's really dangerous for little kids if they're messing around. I mean, they only grow uh, at the base of pine trees. So we had this scare. It's been kind of time consuming and stressful, but knock on wood, I don't want to jinx it, but I think he's going to be okay. And uh, it's just good seeing him do his thing. He still can't really move his tongue very well. And he's you know he's still in some pain, but he's uh, he's doing better. So, just so you know, probably too much detail for the podcast. But the Skiesley looks like he's in recovery, and he just rolled in duck shit. I was told by Heather today at the park, which is a real pain. It's really horrible the way they do that, and you got to like bring him right home, give him a bath, wash him off, like not let him you know go anywhere. But for some reason, he really likes to roll in fresh duck shit. He likes it. He enjoys it. I'm not sure why. If I could. Have a regular conversation with him. I would ask him not to do that and inquire as to why, what is the necessity of that? I don't really see it. But then again, you know, it's, he, he probably doesn't see the necessity of this podcast, for example. All right. There's a lot of shit going on though, besides that. So I've been, I've been running as, I, as usual, three times a week. And every time I'm done running, if it's not like pouring rain or I'm not in a rush, I always walk home from the track, which is like a 35 minute walk three subway stops. And I always get ideas for content when I'm walking. It's like I've done the run, and now I'm doing the walk and the ideas flow in. And I do that and I've been doing, I'm going to write about this Sudoku. You guys know what a Sudoku is. It's a puzzle. It's a logic puzzle. It's numbers, but it's really logic. And I've been doing harder and harder and harder ones. I think between the Sudoku, which is like lifting weights with the left brain, just the super logical brain. And then the running, which is obviously pushing your physical body, you kind of use up all that, like a lot of the neurotic energy, you know, you just kind of channel it into these, into these exercises. And then when you're just walking down the street, ideas start to flow. The, The right brain gets activated, left brain's worn out. It just shuts the fuck up and gives some space for the right brain to give you some ideas. So I've got a lot of New Substack articles in the works. And I've been posting more. And you know, I don't know, there was this hack where you know, if you locked your account, you'd get a lot more reach. And so I tried it and literally I got 5x the engagement as soon as I did it. And a whole bunch of people I asked, I was like, Can you guys see my tweets now? And people are like, Oh, I hadn't seen your tweets in six months. So a whole bunch of people started uh commenting and engaging. So I started posting my Substacks more of them. I should probably have posted more of the podcast, but podcast is harder because you're, you know, one click and you're on the sub stack but the podcast. Listen on your podcast player. You've got to be in a place you can listen. It's not as, quite as easy. They're all like, Holy shit. I haven't seen you in six months. And it made me think like who got me shadow band or whatever you want to call it. And you know, how many people, how many of those like woke douchebags who were like arguing with me, you know, in my mentions, probably reported me or whatever who knows or maybe just twitter flagged some of the words i was using or content i was talking about but it's annoying because you know it coincides with me doing my own thing launching my own sites and like okay now now my reach my distribution is, is being suppressed and it kind of pisses me off but on the other hand i get into a story and i got so much to say today it's like so many things it's been a couple of weeks since i did one of these on the other hand you know maybe If I'd had better reach, one of my earlier posts would have gotten more readers and more attention and I would have been more feeling good about myself. Look at all these, this is circulating around or something. And then I wouldn't have done as much work. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, you you don't really know. It might be in my interest. It might have just made me sort of like, okay, this is not doing this for the glory. I'm doing it because I have something to say and got me more focused. When I was in college... My mom was friends with some guy who had some connections at Columbia Law School. Columbia Law School is an Ivy League law school, it's a good school. And basically, as long as you graduate, I think you pretty much get a a good New York law job unless you're just completely socially inept. And even then, but at, at Amherst College, where I went, there was like a guidance counselor kind of guy that you would talk to before you applied to law school. You just sort of, he was sort of the, I don't know what his job was, he was sort of an advisor. He would help connect you know, the students to the law schools, he had connections at the law schools. And I guess when I talked to him, because I thought, oh, this is a, a, you know, guy who works at my college, he works for me. This guy's on my side. I was like, super honest. I was like, I don't really know if I want to go to law school. I'm just doing this because I don't want to get a real job yet. And I know I can do it. And everybody I know says, if you have a law degree, you can do anything. So I'm just sort of like, all right, I'll just do this for a while and you know maybe get a law job. Maybe not. We'll see. We'll see. You know, maybe I'll get some other kind of job. And I think he told that to uh, Columbia. And so the guy who had the connections to Columbia was like, well, why didn't he get in? And they're like, well, the advisor guy kind of said he wasn't really serious. And so I was pissed off because I was like, you know, I ended up going to Fordham Law School, which is okay, but I could have gone to this law school where I had like this high-paying job awaiting me. So for a couple of years, I was really pissed. I was pissed at the school. I was pissed at that dude. It's like, that dude's supposed to be, you know, my agent. That guy's supposed to be on my side. Like, what the fuck is he doing like selling me out like that, shouldn't have been honest with them. And that's another thing. Don't be honest with people you think are on your side if they're not, if you don't know they're on your side. You don't have to lie, but just don't open up to them. But that was one lesson. But the bigger lesson was as as time went on and, you know, and I was kind of scrambling a bit in my early and mid twenties to get work and to figure out what I was doing with my life. And I ended up working for RotoWire, doing fantasy sports and writing about baseball and football and basketball instead of legal shit you know when i worked at the attorney general's office when i was in law school one of the judges that they had a case with wanted to have a brief about something i can't remember what the hell it was but it was like an in-depth thing and i wrote like a 25 page memo research memo with all the citations everything done so meticulously i was proud of it i thought it was good and i gave it to my boss at the time i was an intern and he was like oh this is good i'll you know we'll, we'll probably use some of this and he went in did, you know, worked it into his own work, and then went to the judge, and she's like, I ah, never mind that. That's actually not that important of an issue." And I was like, "What the fuck?" I just spent like a week doing this, and it just didn't even see the light of day. It wasn't even. It, it turned out to, you know, they they were more interested in some other issue that was just a peripheral issue that she decided wasn't important. And I just realized the tedium of doing that for no reason, and I, I could have been doing that kind of shit instead. Um, I was writing about sports, which is something I loved and growing a business and selling a company. So, you know, you you think, oh, well, that that was bullshit. I got screwed. I could have had this law school. I could have had these jobs. But in the end, it was good. So um, I'm sort of looking at the re- reduction of my reach as good also because, you know, I've churned out a lot of work. If you look at the chrysalis.substack.com, there is a ton of work. And there's a couple others on chrysalis.com that I didn't put on there originally. And it's kind of too late now, and the reason I have so many sites, which is kind of annoying, is that I launched my own site and got a friend of mine here to, to put it together. They did a great job in terms of like layout, the way it looks, but they don't really have a good mailing system or ability to take payments that well, and the site's a bit sluggish. So those three things, I probably squandered like six months of posting all my stuff on Twitter through that site, and that also was reducing my reach a bit because if a site's taking five or 10 seconds to load people you know the attention span just doesn't transcend that so you know people move on and you know there's no good way to email people and so anyway it is what it is but again you know the the less immediate reach and success that you have the more you're like all right i guess this is this is a long-term game play the long game i'm just gonna keep posting and in a way it's not even a game i mean it's like of course. It would be nice if this could be an actual livelihood for me. It would be great you know if i if this is just posting what I think, podcasting about what I think were enough to you know pay the bills, that would be amazing. but in the end, like it either will be or it won't be, and that's not why I'm really doing it i mean i obviously I would eventually have to uh figure out what I'm doing for that but um I don't think I'm ever going to stop as long as I'm capable of podcasting and And writing. I don't want to deter people from contributing because you know it's sort of like, well, if you don't contribute, this is going to go away. You know, contribute to the things you want to see exist. You know, if you if you want to see more, uh, you know, how to lose ten pounds in thirty days content exist, then listen to and contribute to that. If you want to see more uh, ideas, observations, thoughts, things that are not as immediately actionable, then contribute to this. It it depends what you want, but I'm going to just probably show my cards and say um, as long as there's people listening and even maybe if there weren't even if there were 10 people listening um, i i would probably keep doing this because it just feels important to me and it just seems like it's something i want to do so um, i probably shouldn't say that i should probably say hey if you don't contribute this is going to go away but it's actually not true i don't think, it could go away it's more likely that it stays if you contribute but it's really not that's not the primary motivation. The primary motivation is to express myself and to say things I think are important. So anyway, there's all that, but it's just bizarre that I locked my account and all of a sudden I got 5X the reach and people were seeing my posts and, and people started subscribing to chrysalis.substack.com, which is actually free. I may start, if I get enough subscribers, I'll probably post some subscriber only stuff or cut it off a bit because I want to reward them with their, they're actually contributing to it. But this is all very, very long-winded way of saying I've got so many ideas because every time I, I go to the track and run, which is three times a week, and then I walk home, I just get ideas, just I can't even stop the ideas coming into my head as I'm walking home. And I have this routine where I stop at the grocery store and pick up some groceries on the way back. And then I just like I'm like, I better hurry because I'm gonna lose these ideas. They're gonna slip away from my mind. But I got one. I'm working on this one. I'm just gonna read the first sentence of it. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to give it away. But anyway, it's called the Aliens. And the first sentence is when the aliens finally invaded, it wasn't the way most people had expected. So I'm writing something about an alien invasion that is not really an alien invasion, but you'll see it, it has all the hallmarks of an alien invasion. So that's one thing. Another idea that popped in my head was when we were at the vet, it occurred to me that, you know, when when Oscar was at the hospital initially, they're really nice. I mean, the doctors at the hospital, but it was the conventional treatment. They weren't doing this ozone thing. Our actual vet who we, when we broke him out and and got him to that vet, she actually like looked underneath the tongue and saw that it was a salivary gland and drained it. And then he got immediate relief and they didn't even look at the hospital because it's just sort of like there's a protocol and a treatment when this happens and, you know, they just do what they're supposed to do. Uh, And the Portuguese, you know, they're very smart, they're very nice, but they're very rules oriented and very fatalistic in a way. They just kind of, they'll wait in line for God knows how long, you know, you're at the coffee kiosk and the guy's like chit chatting with the guy in front and you're like, dude, move it along. There's 10 fucking people behind you. Just get your coffee and go. In fact, you know, have a couple people working there. You could get so much business, but they don't care. It's sort of like the way it is. And if you're in the line, you just wait for the line. If you're in the, uh, you know, if you, if you have to fill out some forms and wait for your fucking houses to be approved, which are still not approved, you just wait until it's done. Whenever it's done, it's done. It's like a communist country where, you know, it's just the bureaucracy grinds at its pace and you just wait. And when it's ready, it's ready. And I think that has bred or I don't know if it's, you know, it's the chicken and the egg, but a sense of fatalism, like this is just how it is. And you don't really rock the boat, not just rock the boat, but you don't really make a fuss. You got to learn to accept reality. And this is a very interesting thing because there's a lot of, you know, things that masquerade as wisdom. A lot of uh, people who say, you know, True wisdom is letting go of the things you can't control or only worrying about the things that are under your control, that whole thing. And I kind of attack that a bit in the company policy substack, where it's like, oh, it's company policy. Oh, OK, you're ripping me off. But I guess it's company policy. I better give up now, you know, rather than being like, no, just saying that it's your policy to rip people off is not going to deter me. I'm going to even more try to get my fair shake here. So, you know, we're just talking about it with respect to Oscar, like he's just in the hospital and they'd be like, oh, it's sad. What happened to your dog? We'll see what can be done. And they just kind of accepted. And we were like, fuck that. We broke him out, got him to the vet. The other vet had her do this like surgical thing and like knock on wood. Again, I don't want to jinx it, but he's doing a lot better. And maybe he would have been fine either way. We'll never know. But she immediately attacked the problem. And... You know the, the the problem with the fatalistic. You know, only control the things you can control. This whole sort of oh, this is wisdom to calm down and stop being such an American, so being so like anxious to do something about everything. The problem with that, that's masquerading as wisdom, is it, it's a it's a time problem. And this is what I want to write about. It's one of the ideas I had, is that when something's in the past, God forbid if your dog did die, then you have to just feel really bad about that. Right. I mean, you, you, you can't fix it. You can't go back. Can't resurrect him. It's not a Jesus dog. You have to just feel really, really bad and you can't control it. Right. It's over. And you have to just suffer the, the grief or whatever it is that you'd suffer when, if something like that happened. So yes, let go of the things you can't control. You know, don't try to beat yourself up about what you could have done, but when your dog is still alive and sick that is the wrong time to have the fatalistic, oh, he's in their hands. We'll see what happens. I can't do anything about it. No, that's when you should be figuring out anything you possibly can to help them get better. And that's what we did. And so it's, it's sort of a time issue, which is that that wisdom is only wisdom when, it's, when truly you can't, it's out of your control. And the only time something's ever truly, truly out of your control is when it's in the past. You can't change the past right? It's, so that is when that, is, that saying works is, okay, something happened in the past or you did something wrong. You have to accept it. Accept the things you can't control. You cannot control the past, but you can control the present. So don't start using that bullshit. Oh, accept the things have the wisdom, all this fucking serenity prayer bullshit when it's still the present, when the thing hasn't happened yet, when maybe there is something you can do. And I think a lot of people um, use that bullshit uh, excuse of, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. When actually there is something you can do about it. You just don't want to deal. You don't want to, you just want to let someone else deal. You just want to outsource it. And you're just feigning uh, powerlessness in the present when you have power in the present. So this is, this is a time problem, but I think it ties to other things. You know, I, A couple of weeks ago, I wrote about, but my process was good. And this is another time problem, another perversion of, of, of reality based on using the wrong tense. I think I'm going to call it using the wrong tense. I'm trying to learn Portuguese and you got to make sure you're using the right tense when you're using these various verbs. And, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, that no it was wrong to hit on 17, even though you got a four. And it's a time problem, right? If I got a four, then it was absolutely fucking right to hit on 17 because it's 21. <laughs> it's absolutely right to hit on 17. If you get a four, that's not even in doubt. That is just a factual statement. But they're saying, well, you know, at the time you didn't know. So now that you do know, it's still wrong. No, that's a time error. Now that I'm in the future, now that I'm, you know, that this is in the past, the decision, and I see what happened, I can say with certainty whether it was right or wrong. There was a 100% chance it was right if I got a four. There was a 0% chance it was right to stay if the next card was a four. Now, I didn't know that at the time. So I will stay on hard 17. But, that, but to, to make the evaluation from the future and still say it's wrong, is pathological. It's wrong. They are being wrong because they're acting as though the outcome of the hand is in the future when it's actually in the past. So I think a lot of the things that you know seem to be wisdom, oh, always do the thing that's most likely or the probability of this was that. Probability is always future looking. You're trying to predict something. If I tell you that the Eagles have a 62% chance to win the Super Bowl and then the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, After that happens, the Eagles no longer have a 62% chance to win the Super Bowl. They have a 0% chance to win the Super Bowl. You can say, well, they had a 62% chance. Well, actually, 0% chance in this timeline, in this reality, they had zero. At the time, we didn't know, so we made a probability guess. We, we, We made a probability distribution. But then once it resolves, in this timeline, that's how it went. All the indicators that you have you know, yards per play, points per game, various key injuries to different positions, matchups, all, anything you want to use for analytics is future looking. It's all trying to predict the future. But once that event happens, then that's it. That's the end of that. All of the analytics was just indicators. The reality was always the reality. And I think there's a huge confusion and it's based on misunderstanding the tense, which time we're in. Once it happens, it's over. Forget about the percentages before. Forget about the analytics. It's ended. Well, they should have won because they had a 68%. That shit doesn't mean anything. That is just what you thought because you didn't know the outcome. Once you know the outcome, that stuff goes to the garbage where it belongs. Now, you may then resurrect stuff like that for a future game. If you're talking about the NFC title game, now you can resurrect some stats for the Super Bowl. Once the Super Bowl's over, Those stats go in the garbage. It doesn't matter. There's no woulda, shoulda, coulda. There's one timeline. And once it's done, it's done. And that's what actually happened. And all your probabilities don't mean anything, they mean zero. And I don't think they truly grasp that. I think they still think that those probabilities were real even after the event happens. It's just a tool. It's just a tool to use to. Better handicap the game that's going to happen. Once the game is over and we have all the information about what actually happened, that tool has no purpose. I'll give you another one I got into an argument about a while back. People are like, first pitch strike percentage is a really good thing for pitchers. I said, really? Because if two pitchers have the exact same final stats, then the one with the better first pitch strike percentage, uh, obviously, uh, had a worse something else because they ended up in the same place. Right. So if they started better, it's like saying two NFL teams had the same net amount of points. They scored 450. They allowed 280, both of them. And you say, well, one of them got out to a seven nothing lead in the first quarter, every single game. And teams that got to a seven nothing lead are 54% to win the game. So that was a good indicator for them. I'm like, it doesn't matter that they got out to a 7 nothing lead and the other team that did exactly the same as they did didn't get out to a 7 nothing lead every game. It doesn't indicate that the 7 nothing one is better. Now, if we knew nothing else about either team, we didn't know the total points, their total record, the total results. We didn't know anything. And we said, do you want a team that we don't know how they are or a team that every single game is up 7 nothing? Of course, I want the team that every single game is up 7 nothing. It's good to be winning 7 nothing, But if it's now the future, And we've seen the results of the whole season and both teams are exactly the same. You say, which one would you rather want? The same exact team that's up seven, nothing every game or the same exact team that randomly scores or doesn't score first. I would say it doesn't matter to me. Both teams are exactly the same. I don't care how they got there. I don't care what order of scoring the scoring happened. The first pitch strike percent is exactly the same thing. If you know the pitchers overall stats, what do you care whether you got the first pitch or the second pitch or the third pitch, What does it matter? You know what he did. Now, if you knew nothing about those pitchers, well, of course you'd want the one with the better first pitch strike percentage. And they're like, first pitch strike percentage correlates to strikeouts, correlates to this. I'm like, yeah, but we actually know the strikeout total, so we don't need correlates to. That doesn't matter anymore. We know the answer. Again, it's where you are on the timeline. If the season hasn't happened yet, and the stats haven't happened yet, and we just know that this guy's more likely to throw a first pitch strike, but We don't know anything else about the pitchers, of course. Give me the guy who's likely to get ahead in the count. But if we know the total stats, it doesn't matter. And so I think there's this huge distortion because people, they get sort of the analysis right in one time and try to speciously apply it to another time. And it's the tense. You have to use the right tense. You got to be in the right time. Anyway, just one one idea that occurred to me. That was actually at the vet when Heather and I were talking about it that the fatalistic Portuguese way, it works only in, in, in the past, not in the present. All right. Some other ideas that occurred to me while walking home from the track. You, know, you read a lot of shit, listen to a lot of podcasts. And there's all these things you hear and you're like, oh, that's true. You know, this statement is true. This saying is true. This point that this guy made is true. It strikes me as true. But sometimes you understand things true conceptually and sometimes you really understand it. Like understand, understand it. And it's not the same thing. And I had an experience like that when I was, uh, again, it was after I was running. And I I was, maybe it was before I was running, I was walking to the track. But um, this guy Kapil Gupta, who I talk about a lot, he's always talking about no prescriptions, how to do this, go do that, none of that shit. Well, wake up early and write in your journal and then meditate and then then jog and then do this and then fast for a day. He's not saying that stuff won't do something or not do something. He's just saying it's just not, no one got great with these prescriptions and, you know, they, they, they don't really work. If they worked, then people wouldn't keep following different prescriptions their whole lives. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm practicing that. I'm doing that. I'm writing my journal. So you, are you at peace now? you have enlightened? No, no, no. I feel a little better, but I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. And he said, you know, if this stuff really worked, you would do the prescription, and it would be over. But no, people just on different prescriptions their whole lives. They're doing different, you know, hacks all the time. And of course, that makes some sense, but I was like, yeah, some of it works. You know, you fast, you lose some weight, you some autophagy, clean out your system, feel a little better. But actually, I was walking and the truth of it just like hit me like for real. And the best way I can explain it is when you're like doing hacks and tricks and fasting and meditating, not that there's anything wrong with any of that, and you go ahead and do it if you want to do it, but the person who's sort of maximizing or optimizing, you know, there's all these fucking guys now that optimize, let's optimize this. I want to optimize for health. I want to get in zone two. I want to do this. I want to zone two. I want to do a hit. That That's how you optimize, you know, all these things, optimize, optimize your health, optimize this, optimize your diet. Every time you're optimizing and trying to fix this and improve that and self-improve the level of consciousness from which you're doing that is I'm not sufficient, I need to improve. I, you know I need to do this, I need to get better. I need to do this. I need to do my 10,000 10, steps. But the whole consciousness from where that comes from is like, I'm not sufficient. I'm not okay with the moment that I'm in. I need to do something. I need to, I need to get better. I need to apply this hack. That consciousness itself is the problem. That consciousness of I'm not in this present moment just being with whatever suffering I have, whatever action it drives me to. I'm constantly trying to fix this moment and future moments by doing X, Y, and Z. I'm trying to do something about it rather than be in the state of consciousness that I'm actually in completely and then see where that leads and just trust where that leads not, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. There's something wrong. I'm going to fix this. So no matter how good the hack is, you can't really fix the actual problem, which is the need to fix the problem. It's sort of like if your real problem is that you need to fix problems instead of just being the problem. Instead of just being with it, being it, then no matter what you come up with, no matter what website you read or listen to, you're still just going to be off doing this bullshit instead of being with the problem. What if the problem, the real problem, was not facing the problem? And so anything you do to fix the problem is literally not facing it, not being in the problem itself. And be like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the problem? What does that, what do you mean if you're not going to fix it? What does it mean to be in it? It's to do nothing. Okay, well, let's play video games. No, now you're avoiding it. Well, I'll just, well, what do you mean? Just don't avoid it. Don't fix it. Just be there. People are like, I don't know what even that means. I don't even know what that is. Well, you don't know what that is because you're so trained to do something or to avoid something that you don't see a third option, which is to just be You know, like sometimes you're walking down the street and your feet are on the pavement and you're inhaling air and you're exhaling air and you're hearing the screech of tires on the street or the honking of horns. And that's where you are. And you're not avoiding that reality that you're walking in and you're not doing anything about it and you're not fixing it. You're just walking from one place to another for some purpose to go to the store to buy some food or whatever. But you're just walking and you're just there. and There is nothing to fix and there's nothing to do. And perhaps... You'll see something and have an idea or perhaps you won't, but you don't know because you're, you're not trying to do anything at that moment. You're just being there, feet on the ground, breathing the air. And you know what is that state of consciousness and what does that lead to? You don't know because from the state of consciousness, it's like, where does it lead to? What can I get from this? I mean, you've already lost it. You're already jumping into the future and trying to find figure it out. So I don't know, just for a moment, it just hit me and I forget it a million times myself, but it was like, oh, that's what he means by this. No prescriptions. Like if I'm trying to do this shit, it already means I'm trying something. I'm trying to do something. It's like, I don't need to do that shit. I, that's the problem. So I'm still going to go running. I like running. I'm going to do it. And There's nothing wrong with that. Running is no better than not running than doing anything else. The point is that it's not like I'm running because if I do this three times a week, I'm going to get X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to run because I it feels good to me. I enjoy it. I don't even enjoy it. Sometimes I hate it, but it, it just feels like the right thing for me now. That's it. And I saw a great quote that was related to this. I think it was Ted Bell tweeted this out. It was, it was some thing. It was kind of a joke, but they said, you know, most people say they want to be a millionaire. but what they really want is to be able to spend a million dollars, which if you think about it, is the opposite of being a millionaire. So I just say, oh yeah, of course I want to be in, I want to be rich. I want to be rich. Well, why? Well, cause then I'll get all this shit. I'll buy all this stuff. It's gonna be amazing. I'll get a fancy car and some nice clothes and go out to nice meals and all this. Yeah, I want to be rich, travel everywhere. But that, <laughs> that's the opposite of being rich. That's how you spend all your money. And then you're not rich, right? If you want to be rich, you're going to save money. You're going to save and invest. You're going to be careful what you invest in. You're not going to gamble. You want to be rich. So you don't want to be rich. You want to spend money, which is the opposite of wanting to be rich. And it's the same thing. It's like, well, I want to be the greatest quarterback of all time. Great. No, you don't want to be the greatest quarterback of all time. That means like all you're doing is probably like a lot of film study. I don't know what it is. It might not be film study, but a lot of being completely devoted to the game. You may even get divorced from a supermodel because you really want to be the best quarterback of all time. And that's all you want. You, you may lose your supermodel wife. Do most people want to lose their supermodel wife? I don't think so. Most people want to be the best quarterback of all time. They don't really want to be the best quarterback of all time. They want to get the benefits of being the best quarterback of all time. They want everyone to think, wow, you're the best of all time. They want them to say that, do to think that. They want to get the money. They want to get the supermodel wife. They want to lose the supermodel wife. They don't want to be in a gym all day or at a workout facility or, or wherever that they would have to be to be the best quarterback of all time. They want to just get the benefits of being the best quarterback of all time. But if, and that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. I would like the benefits personally of being the best quarterback of all time. I don't really want to be the best quarterback of all time. I do want the benefits, but if you want the benefits, probably won't actually do the things you need to do to be the best quarterback of all time. You know, it's not like anyone had to put that Kyler Murray provision in Tom Brady's contract, you know, for whatever, you know, they know he wants to be the best quarterback of all the time. That's all he wants to do. He lost his wife. Now it's maybe more complicated than that, but that was at least the, the cover story. But I just think it's really interesting that these things that people say they want, it's not really what they want. What you want is what you do. So anyway, I thought that was kind of related. This one's going on a little bit long, but a couple other things. I think I'll get, get into this one. Has it ever dawned on you? And I, I just think this is just so crazy. Like, When you eat healthy for like, you know, 20 years or on and off, but pretty much for 20 years, you know, you just don't consume like a whole lot of shit that's widely available in society. Well, first of all, if you want to be mentally healthy, you don't consume the New York Times, Washington Post, MSNBC, CNN, any of that shit. But just let's talk. keep it with physical. I don't eat at Burger King ever. I don't eat at McDonald's ever. Wendy's Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. I don't eat at that shit ever, ever. Zero. I don't buy cookies or cake or candy bars or potato chips or Coca-Cola. I don't eat it at Subway. I don't eat at Dunkin' Donuts. I don't eat M&Ms or Twix. Well, I had M&Ms, a couple of them from Sasha at some point, but you know, not really. Doritos, I don't eat that shit. I don't eat Oreos. I'm gluten-free. Twinkies, Skittles. I don't eat that shit. I've had a couple of Skittles from Sasha, to be honest, but you know, I don't eat any of that shit at all. And yet, at every single convenience store, every single gas station, every single airport, every single vending machine, and all of the different you know, supermarkets and franchises and Burger King, Wendy's Pizza Hut, whatever, they are fucking everywhere. How is it that all of those businesses and all of the convenience stores and all of the airport kiosks and subway kiosks and vending machines, how is it that they are selling that stuff How many people are consuming this shit? I mean, just the the sheer volume of like Doritos in the world and, and Oreos and Twix and Snickers bars. I mean, there's billions of tons of that shit. How is it that there are enough humans with enough demand who are still alive after eating that shit to just fucking take all that shit down? There's so much of it. It is just everywhere. I just can't believe the scale of it and that it actually gets consumed. And you know it gets consumed because... If it didn't get consumed, it wouldn't be there. Those places would close. They wouldn't have vending machines that never sold anything. They've got to be profitable for them to keep restocking them. So they must be selling. People are eating those things. I mean, just, you go to a fancy hotel at the mini bar, there'll be like Snickers bar and Twix or something in the freezer or the fridge. It, you know, In Portugal, there's like a pastry shop on every single block in every city, big or small. And you know, I'm not against homemade pastry. You know? I have a homemade pastry. I don't eat it because I'm gluten-free. I'll eat a gluten-free one. But, like, this is what people eat for breakfast every single morning. I'm not talking about, you know, now and then. Every day, that's the main fare. And there's a, there's a pastry shop on every block in every city. You go to a small, podunk little city in, in rural Portugal, there's a cafe with pastries. They're just, just every single place. And they're getting consumed again because those places wouldn't exist if they weren't. And you go to the duty free at the airport, and there's that two kilogram bag of Haribo. Those not uh, conversant in the metric system—that's 4.4 pounds. It's a giant bag, and Sasha and I have contemplated it because we sometimes eat haribo, which is a weakness of mine, on the plane. But now it's not really the two kil. She would she would do it, but taking a two kilogram bag of that shit on the plane is like buying a carton of cigarettes for a four-hour car ride. Like it's just it's overkill, and you would feel disgusted. I just don't understand how all the shit is. Exists. I it just, I, it, it must get eaten, and I just don't understand the scale. That it, I mean, there's only eight billion people. There's less than eight billion people on the planet, and you know, a lot of them are in third world countries. So, there's probably like two or three billion people eating all of the shit, and I just, it just doesn't seem like there's enough people to eat all that stuff. There, this stuff is just there's infinite quantities of it, and it's getting restocked every second. And I don't understand how if if there's maybe let's say. 500 million people who are doing the bulk of the consumption of this shit you know the the heavy duty twinkie consumption and dorito consumption like how are those fucking people still alive i guess if you're in your 20s or teens like okay you can pretty much just eat anything but fuck holy shit it's just i can't i can't imagine it like you need like a elephant or hippopotamus to contribute to this consumption because otherwise like don't see how people are taking it down. Anyway, that was just an, a thought I had is just the scale of the junk food. When you think about where it is, it's just mind-blowing. Anyway, there's there's other shit obviously going on. I don't want to get make this too long because i got to edit it. But there are some legal proceedings in Switzerland and Thailand suing the health minister or the uh, actually the president of Switzerland, I think, is getting sued for the for the vaccine injuries, and we'll see if this has any legs. There's, oh, you know, I don't want to be like the, those people who are like, they're gonna, they're gonna throw Trump in jail. They got him this time. The walls are closing in. The walls are closing in. Oh, they're gonna get him for taxes. They're gonna get him for RussiaGate. They're gonna get him for whatever bullshit. And of course, they never are gonna get him. And all these people breathlessly hoping that they're they're finally gonna get Trump never happens. And they just look like idiots after a while. It's like just stop. It's just they're just it's just like you know media that is ideologically aligned with you, feeding you stuff to keep you excited and click. That's all it is. It's not It's not a real thing going on. So I, I hope I'm not doing the opposite of that when I when I look at some of these lawsuits starting and being a bit hopeful, like, okay, well, this is happening. I do think as far as I can tell that with despite the gaslighting uh, and despite the denials and still a lot of people acting like, what? What do you mean? What are you, an anti-vaxxer? You know, what do you, this is this is crazy, you know. Despite like a chunk of the population still trapped in that kind of denial, I do think that the truth is coming out. One other thing that's big is uh, Seymour Hersh, the guy who reported the uh, My Lai massacre in Vietnam, did a Substack. I think he's in his 90s now. He's got to be pretty old. Basically saying the U.S. blew up Nord Stream and explaining how they did it, and it's very likely from the beginning that was true. People were. Clutching their pearls, I am like, how could you say the U.S. would do it? Russia did it. It's a false flag to try to blame the U.S. I mean, it's just the nonsensical nature of that, where it was a multi-billion-dollar piece of Russian infrastructure, they wouldn't just blow up their own infrastructure when they could just not send the uh, gas to Germany if they wanted to voluntarily. It didn't make any sense ever. And the U.S. cryptically hinting, you know, Biden and Victoria Newland hinting that they could stop the pipeline. They had ways. And then it happens. You know, and then nobody reports on it. I mean, how are they not reporting on this? How are they not? It takes like Seymour Hersh, 90-year-old guy in Substack to report. And the journalists are sitting there. Oh, Nord Stream, just a massive multi-billion dollar piece of infrastructure with geopolitical implications for energy distribution around the world gets blown up. And there's just crickets, like no investigation, no reporting, nothing from the legacy media. I mean, we know how bad they are, but it's just so illustrative of how just out, not just out to lunch it's worse than out to lunch like actively trying not only not to report the truth but to dissuade other people from getting to the truth and you know with the with the massive non covid excess death and no reporting on that and just really nothing of import is being re- reported and actively being suppressed I mean, there's just few things more shameful than being a, a legacy media journalist what are you even doing I mean, just get a PR job for some pharmaceutical company, you know, just get an actual PR job and just do that. The idea that you're like (laughs) reporting things for people, it's just, you're committing fraud at this point. I mean, I I think they should be almost liable for fraud if people make terrible decisions based on just blatant misinformation. But in some ways it's kind of like it is on each person to have an ounce of skepticism too. And, so I'm a little bit torn, I do, I do. actually I'm not that torn. I think that people deliberately misleading should be liable for fraud. And at the same time, people should take serious measures not to be easily misled and to be skeptical and to learn from mistakes and learn who to trust. And how can you in 2023 be this credulous? I mean, I think it's important for both. Also in Japan, there's a professor suing the government for lying about the uh, adverse effects and he seems pretty legit. I mean, it's hard to know it's in Japanese and it's the translation. But I mean, I, I think the tide is turning. I've been saying that for a while, but it just takes sort of a certain critical mass and it's going to be the people in the middle don't truly believe the narrative and they start to see stuff and something happens to someone in their life. And, you know, everybody wakes up at some point. And, and I think that the thing that cuts in favor of accountability and the tide turning, we'll see what accountability looks like is that when somebody wakes up, it's a one way ratchet. They don't go back to sleep. Like somebody can be asleep and wake up, but somebody can't wake up and go back to sleep. So whatever the number of people who are aware and not aware, it's only going in one direction. It, it can't go the other way. And so time is always gonna favor the truth. It's always going to favor more people being aware. And so time is happening And then as time happens and and certain people wake up, there's going to be clusters of people that wake up because somebody's going to file a lawsuit or somebody with a decent amount of power is going to have someone close to them injured. And it's going to be pretty obvious it's the mRNA shot. And that's going to wake up a lot of people. And I think we're getting to that tipping point. And again, I don't know what it looks like if they pivot to some other crisis. Oh, and I want to say one last thing. So I mentioned Scott Adams in the last Podcast, but I didn't uh, really follow up on it. But he had this whole thing like you were right, I was wrong. But then it, it seems like he was gaslighting and just being like, no, I was right under with the information at the time. You know the, but my process was good, and I just felt like it's such a cowardly way to fucking go about it. Like, dude, you regret taking the shot. Just admit that you made an error, and you know, and that other people didn't make the same error you did. But he has to make it seem like well, there was a chance of long COVID and. I wouldn't get into his dumbass argument because you still get COVID if you get the shot. So you could have long COVID either way, but maybe at the time he didn't know that the shots didn't protect because he was lied to like everybody else. But it's just the the gaslighting is just so, it's not even gaslighting. It's almost like making it into a prank. He's like, oh, it's a big prank I have just to get the, the, uh, the quote, anti-vaxxers, even though no one's, people just, anti. you know, I said this on Twitter a while back, but anti-vaxxers are just vaxxers with standards. Right? Anybody I know who's been called an anti-vaxxer would take a medicine, whether it's called a vaccine or not, if, the, if they believe that the uh, benefits outweigh the harms. There, there's no Very few people have anything against a category of medicine, period. If there were a medicine, whether you want to call it a vaccine or whatever the mechanism is, that caused more good than harm, and it was taken under conditions of informed consent, everybody's for that. And if it's not, everybody should be against that. And it doesn't really matter what it's defined as or what the mechanism is. So the idea of it's like anti-vaxxers. No, we just don't want this particular mRNA therapy that seems to cause more harm than good, to do more harm than good. And it was given without consent and certainly without informed consent. Even the people who consented voluntarily didn't have good information. So I don't know. Just what a fucking douche, you know, just to, to, oh, it's a prank. And it's just like, This guy, Viva Fry, retweeted this guy. He said, I may have made a mistake, but for the grace of God, I never told anyone to make the same mistake. I never supported punishment against those who did not make the same mistake. In retrospect, I admire them for not making the same mistake, but at least I erred with dignity. I think that's the way to do it. You didn't force anybody. You You weren't for taking away anyone's rights. You made a choice. It was an error, but you erred with dignity. There's nothing wrong with making a mistake. There's nothing wrong with making an error. Finally, one more thing this brings me to. My guy, Ted Bell, he was uh, tweeting this guy, uh, Yoel Roth, who was Twitter's information guy who you know, banned a lot of accounts, shadow banned, worked with the FBI to shut down COVID information and other things. And he admitted in front of Congress that he had made a mistake. that It was a mistake to censor the, now that we know, accurate uh, New York Post reporting about Hunter Biden's laptop, laptop. It was a mistake to suspend the Post's reporting a week before the election. Now, of course, you can't undo that. The election happened, they suspended it when it may or may not have had some influence. And you know, to say it's a mistake now doesn't do anything. But I I might write something about this too. The notion of a mistake, right? The word mistake, it has a bunch of different meanings, right? You can make a mistake in a game of chess. You meant to do a move and then you realize later, oh, that move was an error, it was a strategic mistake. And you can make a mistake like I, I was parking my car and I ding the bumper of the car behind me. That's a, just a mistake. Or I could you know, make a typo in one of my articles, or I could send in the, the wrong message to the wrong person. And I'm sure it has happened many times. That's a mistake. Those are all mistakes. But purposely censoring something to curry favor with power is not really what we consider the definition of the word mistake. That's malfeasance. I committed malfeasance. But they want to couch it as as a mistake in judgment, as a mistake in strategy, and judgment. But it wasn't really a mistake in strategy. It was the right strategy for your professional and social advancement at the time. So it really wasn't a mistake. It was on purpose. And it wasn't just on purpose. It was clear what you were doing and you knew what you were doing. And so to say that in retrospect, it turned out to be a mistake because you're sitting in front of Congress having egg on your face for having censored real Actionable, important information that impacted an important presidential election. You cannot use the word mistake, then purposely misuse its meaning to deflect blame from yourself. You committed malfeasance. I think maybe there's a prosecutable offense. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's a civil offense. But either way, um, you violated people's rights. You suppressed important information that undermined democracy in an election. And you committed malfeasance. Bush invaded Iraq. They said mistakes were made. That's even the more cowardly version. That's a passive voice. They were made. Who made the fucking mistakes? And they weren't mistakes, they were acts of malfeasance. Criminal, obviously, in the case of the Iraq war, these are maybe criminal. I don't know. So be careful when you when you hear that language. I, I almost think if you the extent to which you try to weasel out of stuff by torturing the English language, you should be judged more harshly. The person that should be shown more mercy is the person who says, I did something evil and I regret it. It was evil. I was a careerist. I wanted to please the FBI. I wanted to please the people in power. So I thought that was my best strategy to do that. And now that truth has come out, I see I had no ethics. I see that I failed as a human being and I'm willing to face whatever the the judgment is of that. To me that would be a lot more sympathetic. He should still be punished, he should still, you know, have some sort of consequences for for undermining democracy, but at least you'd say okay, this guy's legitimately contrite. Anyway, it's gone on long enough. Hopefully I have some actual written content on chrysalis.substack.com coming up soon. Till next time.